To learn more about how James can support you and your organisation with social media research, email the team at intelligence.unit at james.com. Hello, I'm your host for this podcast, Mark Wilson. I'm a member of the Jane's Intelligence Unit. And today we're going to be talking about researching Mexico's drug war. Now, joining me for this really interesting discussion is Nilda Garcia. Now, Nilda is a professor at Texas A&M International University, and she researches the online dimension of the Mexican drug war. Nilda, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Maybe we could start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to be researching this topic. Yeah, well, um, actually, I grew up in a small border town called Miguel Aleman in the state of Tamaulipas and in border Texas. So actually, I, it is considered a narco town. So I've been exposed to this lifestyle since I was a kid, right? We had never experienced the violence that we are witnessing today, right, after uh, the drug war was declared. But it was like second nature to me. I, I've been exposed to it all my life. Yeah. So when I went to University of Miami to study my PhD in international studies, I didn't even know that we had a, a field of study, an academic study for drug trafficking. So I got very interested. Uh, we had one of the leading scholars on the field teaching in this program, and he had a class about, it was titled Drug Trafficking in the Americas. So I took the class and that was it for me. It was, I, I need to do this. This was the time where the cartels were getting very notorious about them in social media. So um, I was about to put my dissertation together and start thinking about it. And I thought that was a good topic for me. I was just fascinated on the fact that how these uh, criminal organizations actually evolved and adapt very quickly. Well, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of the detail around that a little bit later on. But I guess for those who maybe know maybe zero or maybe very little about this topic and kind of include me in that bracket. So um, if you could if you could help give me and our audience maybe a brief overview of the drug war. Um, I know it's a probably very complicated um, thing to describe in, in a few minutes. Yeah, sure. So uh, Mexico uh, has a long history of drug trafficking. It didn't start when the drug war started in 2006. But before it was like a more family-based business, uh, smaller Mexico was known as being a producer of marijuana and poppy, which is the plant you produce uh, heroin. Mexico is in third place. It was in second place. It's in third place worldwide producer of heroin. Uh, the first one is Afghanistan, Myanmar, as you might know, and then yeah. Mexico. But we didn't have the cartels as we know them yet. So circa the uh, 1980s, we uh, start seeing glimpses of the first drug cartels in Mexico with the Guadalajara cartel. And they traffic mainly marijuana and poppy. But then we know that the business was in the cocaine business, right? Because of the demand in the United States. But that power was on the cartels in Colombia. So um, they actually started working with the cartels in Colombia. And the one side, we had the Guadalajara cartel on the Pacific side on Me Mexico. They were working with um, Medellin cartel. On the other side, we had the Gulf cartel. And they were working with Cali. Right. But the main powerful, the, the Mexican cartels were not as notorious. The notorious one were the, the Colombian cartels. So the Mexican cartels started to get notorious after the powerful uh, cartels in Colombia, like Cali and Medellin, actually demised. So they left a power vacuum. And then the Mexican cartels actually fill in this power vacuum and they got 
the cocaine business and then they have the marijuana business and then they have the poppy business or the heroin business and they already had all the infrastructure right because it was the same infrastructure that was used with the colombian cartels so during this time as i said before we had in the pacific the guadalajara cartel the guadalajara cartel actually split it into three other groups uh, that we know now, the Sinaloa, Tijuana, Beltran Leiva. The Sinaloa cartel is still one of the most powerful cartels in Mexico, with uh, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación or a New Generation, but I can get to those um, in a bit. As I said before, the Mexican cartels had this opportunity to fill the power vacuum left by the Colombian cartels. They took over the business, and this is when they started to get very powerful. They knew about the Great Mandanera states, and it was very strategic because it's our neighboring country, obviously, and uh, they already control the territories. During this time, the cartels were different. They, I call them traditional. They have these tacit agreements. They already had this symbiotic relationship with the government. Um, there is a lot of corruption in Mexico, so they already were very embedded in the system and the government and um, the drug trafficking business. But they were more, uh, they had these tacit agreements. They were very established in their territories. So we have cartels in the Pacific side, in the Gulf side, and there was relative peace. They respected each other. They respected the civilians. Uh, they didn't mess with uh, families. So obviously they had their own uh, conflicts, right? Yeah. They were rivals, but it was... So a lot, uh, a lot less violent than what we see today, perhaps. Yes. So um, we had that for a while. And then, well, in 2006, we have Felipe Calderón. He declared the war on drugs. It's not that the government were not fighting the cartels before. What happened here is that Calderón wanted to model Plan Colombia, which was the strategy used uh, in Colombia to demise uh, Medellin and Cali. And this is called the US-led war on drugs. So under this US model, what you have to do to combat cartels is to militarize the war on drugs. So instead of using your police, you're going to use your military. And in Mexico, they were not trained to do that because in Mexico, our military is for foreign attacks, right? Or to participate in helping natural disasters. But now they're involved in fighting cartels. So that was one of the things. The other one, uh, they follow a kingpin strategy. So their strategy is to get the head of the organization and then uh, the logic follows that the organization is going to crumble. So this is um, uh, something very interesting in Mexico is why if in Colombia this strategy actually they got rid of these world powerful cartels, drug yeah. cartels in Colombia. How come in Mexico is not working? So those those kind of policies you described there was it by President Felipe Calderon? Was it was that the military the war on drugs in 2006? Yes, and they started deploying the military in his natal state, actually in Michoacan, and then right. there it evolved. Uh, towards the north and it expanded throughout the territory as we have it uh, right now. Would you say that's a step change in, in maybe before it was not without conflict but it was certainly less violent and then obviously since that there was that step change in Mexican policy maybe based on what what worked in Colombia like you said suddenly the, the kind of the game changes and it does become more violent after 2006 would you would you agree with that or? 
It, it did. Uh, militarizing um, the war on drugs, and it's not only the case of Mexico, it has proven in other countries that violence erupts. And another things, uh, unintended consequences, like the violation of human rights, for example, they all come with militarizing a conflict. So um, later it changed. The nature of the business changed. All of a sudden, when they have already their established territories, the government actually work with them, right? Um, uh, as I said before, it's a symbiotic relationship, and this was what man maintained a little bit of uh, peace or relative peace. When you break this, right, these tacit agreements, another administration came. Remember that the pre-administration was in power for, what, 70 years. So now we have the PAN with Fox and all these tacit agreements started to crumble. So when we get to Calderon, there is already um, a lot of tension when it comes with who is actually governing certain territories, right? That the the power, uh, uh, the power was shifting. So then we start seeing after the the militarization, uh, circa 2010, for example, we start seeing um, the birth of new cartels. And with these new cartels, we start seeing a new wave uh, and a different type of animal. For example, we have um, the setas. The setas was a before and after uh, in the the criminal organizations in Mexico. The setas could care less about the tacit agreements. They were very violent, expansionist. The tacit agreements they actually agree or not uh, disturbing the business or the turf of other criminal organizations, the Zetas didn't care. They were decapitating bodies, putting them and throwing them all around the cities. They were um, very violent and they didn't care about protecting the civilians, mm -hmm. which was another of the agreements that the, the traditional cartels have, right? Yeah. So we start seeing an, an evolution of cartels with more violent strategies, more gruesome. Um, instead of the traditional cartels, they want to be loved, uh, obviously feared by the rivals, but loved by the people because they need this protection bracket, right, by the people okay. in order for them to conduct their business. Mm -hmm. These new ones, they don't, they don't care about that in, in a sense. They just want to be feared. It's better to be feared than loved. That's what they believe. Right. So right. Uh, we start seeing this new business model, more expansionist, more aggressive. The Zetas started to conquer territory all over the place. We start seeing diversification of criminal activities. So it's uh, not just about drugs at this point anymore. It's, it, it, it goes more than that. It spans wider than that, does it, to, into other sectors? Yes, yeah, so it's not uh, with these new groups of uh, organized crime in, in Mexico and these new business models that they're following, it's not only about drug trafficking anymore. Another unintended consequences of the drug war, if you're pressuring the border and you're not letting the drugs cross as they do usually, obviously they're going to start looking for money other ways. So now they're in the business of human trafficking, kidnappings, 
extortions, oil thefts, uh, money laundering, cobro de piso. So if um, you are in a city, and this happened in my hometown, for example, you're in a city, you have a business, well, they're going to charge you for protection. So you have to pay the rent, like in the formal industry, and then you have to pay them for protection. And then, for example, in my hometown, we have a lot of like drive-throughs and they sell like beers and drinks and yes. stuff like this. Yes. Uh, so they actually started to prohibit this business from selling, for example, whiskey that the businesses obviously buy in the United States and sell sell it in the border because it's cheaper. No, they actually uh, got into the business of they were the ones that have to provide for them uh, liquor right. and cigarettes, for example. So this is another branch of activity that they have. And they have come up with a lot of ideas to actually make more money when the border is very is, is very uh, being very controlled, right? So they have diversified their activities. And mm. it's not only about drugs anymore. So this is a debate on whether what if you legalize drugs, right? If you legalize marijuana, what is going to happen? Well, you're going to take that part of the business from there, but what about all the other business that they have and they're yeah. very lucrative? Oh. This is where a, a new generation form of cartels. They're younger, they're more aggressive, um, they're very strategic and technological. <laughs> And they're very sophisticated. The traditional cartels are sophisticated as well. But now these new cartels have different business models and violence erupted because they tried to invade her from other cartels. Obviously, they're now fighting throughout the territory. There is a metastasis of uh, criminal organizations and violence throughout the Mexican territory. And now if we started that drug war with five main cartels now we have like nine or maybe ten some of them have survived some of them have demise or they're not around anymore some of them expanded some of them retracted like the Zetas expanded tremendously uh, and it was the second cartel in Mexico in a very short period of time Um, they they retracted they're now fragmented into two groups but these new groups follow these business models so now we have cartel jalisco a new generation and also we have to take into account that um the the demand for drugs changes as well so Mm. we yes the united states is the main consumer of drugs in the world but now the gap is closing with europe um we have mexican cartels well established in australia for example so as demand is growing and as other type of drugs are actually uh, on the market so now fentanyl is a, a drug that is very popular because it's cheaper and is very potent so they took this um they saw this opportunity cartel jalisco new generation to take over the fentanyl business and uh, this is how they're uh, they are getting a lot of power also they want to their expansion is they want to control for example they fight for um, the state of michoacan so they have this port lazaro cardenas which is the biggest port maritime port in latin america you get a lot of shipments uh, uh, there from South America and also the precursors to be able to produce the drugs from China. So this is a strategic point that they are fighting for and they are trying to control. And these strategic points is, uh, and the strategic drugs that they're selling, this is yeah. what is making uh, this cartel, for example, more powerful in Mexico. You mentioned there... Um 
you know, the, the new generation of cartels, they are more expansionist in nature, they're more aggressive perhaps towards each other and, and to and to perhaps the general populace. But I mean, I, I've seen some videos, for example, on social media of, um, of one of the cartels, I think it might be the Glasgow New Generation cartel, and they are they are in a long procession of military vehicles. And um, I think it might be that one, I think you'll correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, a long procession of military vehicles, they are armed to the hilt um, with what look like automatic weapons. And, and you know, if I, to the untrained eye, perhaps, you would kind of go through that in your social media feed and you would, you'd be forgiven perhaps for thinking that was actually the Mexican military. Is this something that you see across the, the younger generation of cartels these days? Yeah, yes, they are highly sophisticated. You confuse them. If you are traveling through Mexico in the northern uh, states, for example, in the area where I'm from, uh, and you see them in the streets, you don't even know who's who, right? Because they have this uh, sophisticated vehicles, they have this sophisticated weaponry, and uh, you can confuse them. Uh, it is believed that uh, Cartel Jalisco New Generation is in the business of producing their own weapons. Mm. Um, and this is one of the things that might have like a competitive advantage for them, but right. they do have um, all these sophisticated weaponry that is even it is um, equivalent to the one from the military. So, yeah. 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 So that's a really, really useful kind of introduction to, to this uh, to this war. Nila. Thank you for that. I mean, I guess the, where I want this conversation to go next is on maybe focusing more on what you've researched. And that is the kind of the online dimension of this of this drug war, essentially. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about the online dimension of it and perhaps why why this drug war has actually gravitated towards social media in the first place? Sure. So cartels have always used the media, traditional media or mainstream media, uh, very strategically. So they used to put, I don't know if you have heard about the narcomantas, which no, are... No, explain that one to me. Okay, narcomantas, this was a, like an advertising tool for the cartel. So these are uh, messages left on cloth banners, usually containing threats or messages um, or an explanation for a criminal activity. So I don't know an example. We are here because we are trying to get some uh, person and because we are claiming territory or sometimes is we are here because uh, the government is not even protecting you, so we are here to protect the population. Or they usually also use them to recruit people. Like we pay very well. I actually saw one of these in Nuevo Laredo, which is across where I live in Laredo, Texas. Um, uh, they're like, we're looking for new members, we're recruiting, we pay you very well, we treat you very well, and then a phone number there. So this is out there on the street. This is kind of in, in the offline world, right? They usually look in um, bridges or right. in, um, yeah, they just put them all over the city. Yeah. So uh, things like this caught the attention of the media. So they usually, oh, there's a narco narcomanta and they, they uh, um, a note about them, right, in the news. Yeah. So it was like... Uh, free advertising for the cartels and the same with the newspapers so they were, they were very strategic about or oh, they do something 
uh, to cut the attention of the media. For example, in Monterrey, Nuevo León, I don't know if you knew about this case that they actually burnt out uh, a casino with innocent people inside and it was a lot of deaths. So the media comes and they report on them and this is free advertising, national, in national level, international level, they send their messages or they used to send it like in this way, right? Marco Mantas and, and things like this. They also control in local newspapers, uh, newspapers, they control what the news were about out there. So they extortion the, the owner of the newspaper and they ban them from publishing notes of a rival cartel and just focusing on them for them to powerful and 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 yes yeah good advertising for for their organization so it was in uh, uh the media with the war and the violence obviously there were more notes about it in the media you only heard about them right it was shootings here and shootings there so they decided in 2011 um it was like 70 uh, mainstream media outlets can came together and came in and signed an agreement and they say you know they are taking advantage of uh, the media traditional media and we are actually free advertising them and this is what we are putting there to the public right this is the information uh, we are consuming so mm -hmm. they decided not to go forward to this and they banned actually the the um, yeah the the covering this type in of mainstream media, media. yeah, yeah. Um, so this is when they actually lost this uh, platform for exposure, right? And this is when in Mexico in 2010, we experienced a boom on the use of Facebook and then Twitter, also YouTube. So the cartels saw this and they evolved rapidly and they adapt. So they saw this as an opportunity for them to start exploring and the social media is an ungoverned space, right? So yeah. they took advantage. Uh, of this, and they just started using these outlets, uh, blogs, Blog del Narco is a very famous one, um, and they took advantage of this uh, in order for them to to uh, expand their business model and, and their modus operandi, and they actually, um, yeah, it's very intrinsic to their strategies. So right? it sounds like they've uh, they've adapted again in response to you know being kind of shut down in mainstream media, and then looked look for for different ways of getting their messages out. And I guess I guess that still continues today, doesn't it? Their presence on social media, which I know you yeah. know I really I really want to go into that with you really in, in the next um, in the next few questions. Really, I mean, just kind of moving on to your research, so. In your research, one of the key questions you look at, and again, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, is whether or not social media has actually empowered um, these cartels in, in some way. Um, so, you know, in, in your research, I mean, have you have you found that the cartels use social media in particular ways to achieve certain objectives? I mean, give, give us your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, actually, um, I studied three groups. So the yeah. Sinaloa, the Zetas, and the Knight Templars or Caballeros Templarios, which they're not around anymore, maybe really? themselves. Uh, yes. Um, so I found that they actually use it in, in different ways. They follow different strategies. And some of them are more successful than others. And for example, Sinaloa, they were more um, for 
advertising or the PR with the people. They, uh, the people felt closer to them because it's just a click away when you can actually send a message to a couple that you admire because they're, uh, it's a narco culture in Mexico. Uh, the people admire these, uh, these leaders, right? So there's that um, dynamic going on as well, right? From, from people on the ground, there's this kind of aberration for some of the cartels, is that, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, um, as I mentioned before, having the love of the people is very important for them, mm-hmm. having the support, because the you can actually conduct your business more at ease, right? And the city protects them, actually, from the government. Uh, so, they need this relationship. So, um, the Sinaloa was more strategic in the sense that they advertise the lifestyle. So, they will put up uh, or post pictures about a very luxurious lifestyle of a drug trafficker in Mexico or a drug trafficker. If you're going to be on the Sinaloa cartel, you're going to have this mansion and you're going to have all these cars and you're going to have this beautiful woman and exotic animals and then you're going to have your own plane. So they advertise this exotic lifestyle that is kind of um, obviously for young people they want that, right? They they want the excitement, and then obviously with all the series that we have uh, available to us. So they, the Sinaloa Cartel on social media make the lifestyle desirable. This is mm-hmm. one of the main strengths. They're not gonna, for example, post something in real life. If they're doing business in Chicago and they want to post a picture of that, they're gonna wait a couple of days and other organizations are not as clever, right? So, for example, in the Zetas, and this is just like a very uh, brief overview, the Zetas are more aggressive. You're not gonna see luxury in the Zetas. You're gonna see more aggressive. You're gonna see, you see the, like the human side of them because you're scrolling to their accounts and it's like they write a love letter and they're in love and then the next and you're like oh they have a heart right and the next post is like a, a dismembered body and and a lot of violence and they post very proudly they have their 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 gear that looks like a military gear with the Zetas logo and then the the cap and all the weapons they have and they post very proudly in the pictures and in the videos that they are uh, part of the Zetas and they're going to a mission because they have to uh, protect their territory and they're going to battle someone else, a rival cartel, and they send threatening messages. They send threatening messages to a town. So we're going to this town. We don't want to see anybody in the streets by 11 p.m., for example. So everyone that is going to be out, we are advising that we're going to shoot anyone that is out of their homes. So they they work through fear. Mm-hmm. and kind of gain the respect of people through fear. And then the other case that I study, they the leader used more YouTube. And uh, it is a little bit, it was a little bit less successful because obviously through a video, you can see the surroundings. And so this, you is can the, hear... this is the Knights Templar group, was it, you said? The yes. Third, the third case study. Sorry, go, yeah, carry on. I said it in Spanish. I'm sorry, the Knights Templars. <laughs> <laughs> the Knights Templar was on YouTube, you're saying? Yeah, so the leader decided that the channel that or the platform he wanted to use 
was YouTube. Uh, Seth has used Twitter a lot, Facebook a lot. Sinaloa yeah. use more Twitter and they have Facebook presence as well. But the Twitter presence of Sinaloa, it was millions of people. It was just uh, unbelievable. People from all over the world, uh, people from the military, people from uh, the FBI. And it's insane the platform that follows these people. Mm. The Night Templars, they decided to go and use YouTube. The leader at the time, he liked to film videos and see himself in, uh, himself in videos. So uh, when you use YouTube, you are risking a little bit more because you have surroundings, you can see it. Uh, it's easier for people to locate you if you have the intelligence, uh, the, sound, the sound of the environment. So uh, it is believed that it was because of the exposure of this leader that actually got him arrested or people could locate it because he was very open on uh, shooting videos on YouTube. If you use the other platforms, maybe you're a little bit more protected and you follow different strategies. I, I found that the, the Sinaloa cartels strategy was the more successful and then the Zetas and then exposing yourself in YouTube. I don't think that was the greatest idea in the world. Yeah. Um, and it is believed it led to his capture because he was posting a lot of information. Sure, yeah. So uh, you mentioned there some of the platforms that, that some of these cartels have been present on. You've mentioned, you know, the likes of Sinaloa on, on Twitter and then the Knights Templar on, on YouTube. And in your research, do you find that by and large these cartels have focused on mainstream platforms or have they also gravitated to lesser known platforms out there or, or even the dark web, for example? Yeah, so actually, um, yes, they have presence on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, blogs, yeah. but then they have adapted to, to other types of or new ones. For example, during COVID, you know, like TikTok was a, a hit, right? Everyone was uh, using TikTok and they were not <laughs> absent from this. They are actually using TikTok. And this is like the next platform that I want to get into. I don't know if they are actually dancing in these videos. I don't know. I have to find out what type of content they are uploading on TikTok. Uh, but they have presence there. I know the Sinaloa Cartel members, they have presence on TikTok. Uh, on the dark web, we know these cartels or at least sales of these cartels sell their product on the dark web. So. I am pretty sure that as the whole world have actually tried to adapt to a virtual environment because of the pandemic, they're doing the same. I'm pretty sure they have their strategies, they're, they're were very strategic or trying to actually sell or explode more this type of uh, transactions, right? Because obviously the world stopped for, for a bit and they need to continue their business and they adapt very quickly. So I'm pretty sure they're being successful on selling drugs in the dark web right now and conquering all social media platforms. It sounds like a bit of a, um, you know, a pick and mix approach, right? I mean, it's, um, I guess we'll, we'll get, we'll get into a little bit later in terms of the, the response to the cartel's presence on social media and potential crackdowns and stuff like that. But it, it, it sounds as though they're, they're extremely, extremely good at adapting. So is there a kind of an information war going on here on social media? 
for example, do you have government institutions on, on social media that are kind of trying to undermine the narratives to the cartels in any way? Uh, sadly, I haven't come across a lot of accounts like that. Actually, on the other hand, I've seen groups, for example, like Anonymous. Oh, the, the hacking collective? Yeah. So yeah. they actually got into a battle or a cyber warfare with the Zetas back then because they actually kidnapped a couple of their members. So and who, who kidnapped who? Just so, just so I understand that correctly. <laughs> the Zetas kidnapped a couple yeah. of the members from Anonymous in Mexico. He was in Veracruz. They were in a they were demonstrating or something and they just took him. Anonymous went ballistic online and they were we are going to discover like all your network of people, governors, taxis, all your network is gonna be posted online. They have this information and uh well, it, it went for a couple of, of days, right? This back and forth of those Zetas and Anonymous on social media. Um, and then the Zetas actually freed these people. So Anonymous actually won this battle, uh, if, if you want to see it that way. But we have seen instances of that. People are tired of this injustice and the treatment of cartels like this. In the one hand, you admire one of or people or have like the Sinaloa have a, a base of people that actually love them, right? Or admire this this organization. Uh, in cases of facetas, there are groups that people don't like because they are very aggressive and violent and they don't care about innocent people. Uh, the, the citizenry also have uh, instances of, they have open uh, spaces and Facebook pages and um, blogs in order to report them. So is the citizenry also have like a warfare with them, which kind of dismantled a little bit because the Zetas started killing these people and they started posting lives uh, of these situations. For example, uh, there was a, it was a doctor in, it was in Reynosa, Tamaulipas. She's opened a space for people to denounce uh, where members of the cartel were, for example, where the blockades were, if you knew where they lived or they have people because they are in the business of actually coyotes, right, um, which are crossing immigrants into the United States. So they put them in a house So and then they wait until they can cross them. Uh, so people were denouncing this. They have immigrants there. They're going to cross them. Um, so what the Zetas did was they located this person that was responsible for the creation of this space, and um, it was live. They put a she. They made her in her Twitter account um, post that she was caught, and they took a picture of her before uh, that um, going after the cartels was not worth it, that she put her life in, life in danger and her family's life in danger. And a couple of minutes later, they posted a picture of her already dead, right? And this was like lifetime. And I actually, I followed, I, I happened to be on Twitter when that happened. And they started doing this and sending these messages. Obviously, people's gonna, they stop reporting. So this cyber war that 
people had against them kind of dissipated a little bit because of fear, right? So uh, I see those instances in the... I've seen, uh, for example, leaders of cartels sending messages when Peña Nieto was in office, threatening messages, for example. But I never saw like a, a back and forth uh, on situations like this with the government. But I saw it with other groups like Anonymous and the citizenry, as I mentioned. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how you've actually gone about re- researching the topic on, on social media and perhaps you know, how the methodologies that you've used have actually helped you to, to track the conflict. Could you tell us a bit about how you've gone about that element of your research? Yeah, so I actually divided my research in in two parts. The one was uh, I needed to measure the cartel survival capacity because that was one of my questions. What makes uh, Mexican cartels so strong, right? So obviously there is a combination of factors, but I found that social media was a new factor that we can add to this formula that is actually strengthening their strategies. So first I had uh, to measure uh, survival capacity, indicators of violence, criminal activity. So I measure organizational shocks and see how the criminal activities actually develop after that to try to have an idea of the strength of the cartel. And you can see through time how they adapt, how uh, if they know that having a hierarchical structure, if they're following a kingpin strategy, obviously you're going to be very vulnerable. So they started changing and uh, putting other types of, or forming other types of structure in where if you lose one of the leaders, your organization Mm -hmm. is going to continue. So it's more decentralized, perhaps? Yeah, more decentralized. Uh, Sinaloa follows a hub in spokes, and it has been very successful for them. And we can talk a little bit about the structures when I come with the social network analysis. So when you're measuring survival capacity, you can see how they are adapting and how they're restructuring because if they lose a leader and you see their their criminal activities violence erupting because you know that when a, a leader is gone or an organization is gone everything like other cartels want to actually take advantage of this vulnerability of the organization and they want to take over turf or the organization and then the other stage was um social media usage and presence. So I studied three main platforms, was Facebook, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. And I did it in three stages. So first I did the social network analysis, which actually uh, led me to very interesting findings. So uh, what you do here is, for example, I have this software that I can upload uh, or download all the network on Twitter. They don't have the rights for Facebook, but on Twitter, and I was able to actually uh, visualize, I uh, was very intrigued or um, interested in seeing how the structures actually differ from the physical ones. For example, Sinaloa is hubs and spokes. That is the, the, the structure they follow. And then I found that on social media, this structure actually uh, is the one that they have in the virtual space as well. Right. So if you follow their uh, Twitter account and their, their network, their their um, universe of network on, on the Twitter space, you're going to see they're actually divided the same. So the physical structure mirrors in this case and in the Zeta's case, um, their virtual structure. And I thought that was very interesting. Uh, mm. For the for this analysis on social media, well, I had this tool right to download the data 
uh, on Facebook, I had to go account by account. Manual. And try to, yes, and try to uncover their network. Uh, it was a lot of work. It was very interesting, exhausting yeah. as well, because you're exposed to a lot of violence and things you don't want to see, but sure. you want to study. So yeah. that one was a little bit more challenging, but at the same time, you find very interesting things in their accounts is it is unbelievable the amount of information that they actually post in these outlets so i went one by one obviously um i just wanted to to look yeah. <laughs> i didn't want to from a monetary perspective yeah yeah just to see what is going on right so yeah. um yes it was very interesting to go through their accounts link them and ha know how they actually work uh in the the virtual space so the social network analysis was very interesting because you can see their structures and as i mentioned uh, uh it, it reflects their physical uh, structures and then you can see for example as it has been more decentralized and also you can find or i i found traces or hints of new organizations forming for example wow. when i was doing this research of uh, one of my cases it was the setas i saw cells or, or um, yeah, like glimpses of a new organization forming that now is one of the cartels that got very powerful in Tamaulipas, for example. And I saw just how it was forming and then they became their own cartel right now. And the Zetas actually separated between Zetas Old School and then this cartel, uh, Cartel del Noreste or CDN. Um, and I saw glimpses of this cartel forming. So I think if we look more in depth, we are, we can see and we can project how the organization is going to actually develop um, in the that's, future. That's fascinating. So it's kind of like an early detection mechanism of potential new cells that might be coming online, you know, either now or might be might be a big player in the future. Perhaps yeah. also you, you're able to gain insights on how there was kind of fragmentation within some of the cartels as well. Exactly. I saw glimpses of that too, because if you're seeing that one of, uh, one of the cells is actually forming and it's becoming stronger, uh, you're going to see that probably they're going to they're gonna be clashes or intra-cartel clashes and they're going to separate. So you have glimpses of this when you study their social media because they post everything <laughs> in there. Yeah. And you can actually get that information. And I don't have any sophisticated equipment. So I found this just in my computer and just looking into these accounts and obviously using the software. But it's nothing that you cannot do in, in, in your own uh, computer, right? So I was fascinated to see how much information I got and how actually I can or you can predict when another organization is forming or, as you mentioned, when it's fracturing. I guess as well, right? I mean, social media, as we know, right? If, you, if you're looking at any topic on social media, it is real time, isn't it? Yeah. Any topic, not just, not just the one we're talking about today. So... If you were looking at this stuff on social media, you, you essentially you were monitoring what the cartels were doing in real time. Is that what you found? You, some of them do post uh, things in real time. Some of them yeah. not. Some okay. of them post uh, in real time when they're going into missions. And it's very interesting to see that they are very proud of going and we're fighting and we're going to do this and we're fighting such groups. It can go both ways. Sometimes they upload the pictures of the aftermath of the battle when they won, but sometimes these people or these 
they're very young sometimes. Uh, you see them going into the mission very excited, and then you see the other cartel posting the aftermath, and they were killed, you right. know. So yeah. it's very interesting to see all this content. And this is uh, real time. The case that I told you about the doctor, the, the killing of her happened real time on, yeah. on Twitter. So, yeah. And just kind of to, to close this up, I guess, I mean, have they kind of been facing crackdowns by social media platforms? And also, where do you see this heading in the future in terms of cartel usage of, of the online space? Yeah, so in terms of crackdown, I see, I have seen this more on terrorist organizations like ISIS, for example. I know Facebook had like a team of people and they were very adamant or uh, very um, uh, into this work of getting accounts down. When I was uh, doing my research on the social media on cartels, I saw just a couple of cases when their accounts were actually blocked or deleted. I didn't see much of it. So they can still post information. When it comes to the future, there is a lot of pressure on these platforms. I'm actually part of um, a group that is called the Alliance to Contrain Crime here in the United States. It's based in Washington. And we want to actually uh, put out or, or for policy to be reformed in order for this content not to be out there because this is um, convenient for drug cartels. Obviously, they recruit a lot of people. They get all this uh, legitimacy through these um, media. So uh, especially in the violence that they put there that a lot of people are exposed to. So they have a lot of pressure when it comes to this that type of information that can be posted on social media. So maybe I think, but it's a little tricky, right? Because it is the right of uh, of freedom of speech and and, yeah. and it's like policy uh, uh, according to to the to the platform. Sure. Uh, and it's on them because it's private, right? But I think because of the pressure, I think they're gonna start doing something because of this. But it's gonna be hard to track them it's gonna be hard to be after them because as i uh if as i'm saying before they adapt they change they're very quickly when they were trying to do this with isis they closed one account and they already had 10 aligned and do you know this topic better they'll they'll be they'll be ready for it probably i mean like you say we've seen other actors on social media like you might have just outlined there i mean it's kind of a -a whack-a-mole approach isn't it and you, you get you get social media firms trying trying their best to kind of uh, crack down on these on these actors and then like you just said they pop up somewhere else maybe not on the same platform maybe on a different platform that maybe exactly. doesn't have the same level of visibility as the previous platform had and and around the merry-go-round we go essentially isn't it so you, you envisage the same thing similar dynamic happening um, with with the cartels yeah and then as we open new platforms new social media platforms they're just gonna move right yeah. and they move yeah. quickly so yeah. i think this is hard to stop thank you neil i mean i think that kind of brings uh, this uh, this podcast to an end but i yeah i just wanted to uh, to thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time sharing your expertise it's on such a such a fascinating uh, topic um and i just wanted to highlight your research on this finally neil as well so you've got a book out on this topic haven't you, Do you would you like to tell us about that 
Yes, thank you for mentioning that. So my book just came out this year. It was published in April. Uh, it is called Mexico's Drug War and Criminal Networks, The Dark Side of Social Media, and it was published by Broadledge. And here I explain more in depth uh, my research. I have a little bit of background of the, uh, the, the Mexican drug war, and I study more in depth uh, Sinaloa Cartel, the Zetas, and everything I've been talking about, about the social network analysis, uh, all these models, you can see them there. Uh, it is available everywhere. <laughs> you can buy everywhere. Books. Fantastic. Yeah. So you hear that, folks? That's Mexico's drug war and criminal networks, the dark side of social media by Nilda Garcia. That is fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time again, Nilda. Um, yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you for um, having me. I really enjoyed this. It's been a pleasure. And uh, best of luck with your research. Speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Speak to you soon. To learn more about how Jane can support you and your organisation with social media research, email the team at intelligence.unit at jane's.com.